You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. What's up, traders? It's Katia founder of Desire to Trade. I'm really happy to bring you this interview today with Chris Claflin. Chris is a futures trader, and he's also the host of the Uncharted podcast. It's a new podcast, but Chris is really defining topics and really talking about trading in a different way. You should check that out after the show. In this interview, we talk about a lot of stuff as always, but Chris is really good at how to simplify what you have to focus on as a trader and really the lessons he got from his years of trading. Chris went from being in school, studying to become a dentist, and ended up dropping out of school when he realized he could make more money trading. So I'll leave you with the interview. I'll come back at the end for the takeaways. I want you to tell us first what is uh, one quote that inspires you. Um, So I really am a huge fan of a trader named Ed Sakota, And the quote that I really like, he says that uh, the quote is, win or lose, everyone gets what they want from the market. Some people like to lose, so they win by losing money. And yeah, I think that's true. Um, trading is such a psychological pursuit, and it's it's deceptive sometimes because we don't actually like to admit how much of our problems in trading stem from our own behavior and beliefs. And so uh, I, I really like that that quote because the the further I've gotten into my trading career, the more and more I've tended to focus on my own psychology and less I've focused less on the markets. And so I I think there's a lot of truth in a few words in that quote. That's starting pretty strong for an interview. I like it. So tell us what's going on these days. Um, Well, right now I am trading full time, uh, mostly in the U S 30 year government bond futures. That's my bread and butter. Um, I've been trading oil a little bit lately. Um, and, uh, I'm starting to to mentor people. Um, that's something I've just barely begun kind of just as a response to people asking me, you know, like they've been asking for advice. And um, so I kind of set up a mentorship service. I have a boot camp that I've put together. Uh, the next one launches on June 6th. And uh, so really that's, that's everything I've got going on in a nutshell um, as far as trading goes. Cool. So I want to go back in time and I want you to tell us how you started to trade exactly. How did you get involved in trading in the first place? Okay. Um, I'll try to keep the story short because it's kind of, you know, it, it's one thing led to another type thing. But, um, you know, so when I was in high school, I ran cross country and track, um, you know, in middle school and high school. And when it came time to choose a college, I kind of narrowed my two choices down to um, CU Boulder in Colorado and Utah Valley University because I really wanted to run at a Division One level. And I also was going to school to be an orthodontist. That's kind of the career path that I was heading down. And so I knew that studies were going to be a huge part of my you know, undergrad uh, experience. And so I chose to go to Utah because they had a a much less competitive program than Boulder did. You know, I don't think I could have ran with those guys and still kept up with my schoolwork. So I thought I was going to, you know, walk onto the team and get a fat scholarship and everything would be cushy and nice. Um, So I got out to Utah in the summer of 2009. 
I walked on the team. I made the team, but I didn't get a scholarship because um, there wasn't as much money floating around as I thought. So I had to get a job. And I worked a lot of really crappy, low-paying, exhausting jobs. And, um, you know, kind of halfway through my um, undergrad, you know, my four years at UVU, I met the woman who's now my wife. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew that I wanted to marry her. And so I started thinking about ways that I could make some quick cash on the side. So I, you know, (laughs) did everything from working extra hours to donating plasma. You know, they call it donating, but you're actually selling your plasma and that was affecting my running um and so one day i was watching tv uh bbc america and there was this documentary that came on about the card counting team out of mit and there's a movie that's based off of these guys it's called 21 i don't know if you've seen it or not um but it's a it's a good one it's an entertaining movie and uh so basically what happened is there was this team of kids uh from massachusetts institute of technology that would fly out to Vegas every couple of weeks to count cards. And because blackjack, the game of blackjack is one of the few casino games where you can actually shift the odds into your favor by understanding what cards have already been dealt and what cards remain in the deck. So I thought, okay, well, I'm pretty smart, so I could probably learn how to count cards. And so I started teaching myself how to count, and I figured I would you know, <laughs> make a bunch of money in a casino and use that to buy my wife's wedding ring. So for a couple, you know, I spent probably a month or two learning how to count. And um, that summer, this was, this is actually early 2011. I drove out to a town called Wendover on the border of Utah and Nevada to count cards every week for like six weeks. And I ran a couple hundred bucks up to around a thousand. And um, it was an interesting experience because I realized really quickly, like (laughs) counting cards is not a viable business model over the long run. And a lot of the money that I made had come from just kind of beginner's luck. But that was like really my first experience with making money from money, doing something that didn't feel like work. So I, I wanted to hold on to the money that I'd made. So I, I stopped going out there and that was money for my wife's wedding ring. Right. And so I came back and I was trying to figure out, you know, like, is there any other way that I could grow this money? And so I rewatched that documentary and I'd missed the tail end of it the first time I'd watched it. And it talked about the guy who came up with the card counting system that I was using. And his name was Edward Thorpe. And he wrote a really famous book called Beat the Dealer. A lot of, you know, gamblers and stuff know about the book. But the documentary talked about how Edward Thorpe, he was a mathematician at MIT in the, in the early 50s, I believe. He went on to the, the documentary, the way they phrased it is that he went on to make billions of dollars applying the same principles um, that he had developed for his card counting method. He made billions of dollars in the world's largest casino, the New York Stock Exchange. And um, interesting thing about Edward Thorpe, he's actually, uh, he actually came up with the Black-Scholes model for pricing o- options before Black and Scholes came up with it. And he was trading it before they ever wrote their their paper on it and won their Nobel Prizes and stuff. But anyway, so that's a, that's a side story. <laughs> so um, I decided, you know what, the stock market's probably uh, a better way to go than um, counting cards. And so I started researching everything I could about the market. And around that same time, I had a roommate move in with uh, me and my track buddies and he was into penny stocks and he was like, you know, if you just invest $1,000 into a, a stock trading at 0.0001 cents and it goes to a dollar, you'll be a millionaire. And so um, 
I, <laughs> I kind of started researching penny stocks and, uh, I ended up not using that money to buy my wife a wedding ring. I bought her like a wedding ring that was probably, you know, 35 or 40 bucks. <laughs> and, uh, luckily, you know, she's an amazing, amazing woman. She's luckily, you know, those things aren't important to her and, uh, she's been really supportive of, of trading, but, um, I cut my teeth the week that we got married. I placed my first trade in the summer of 2012 in a company called Greystone Mining Company. The ticker symbol was GYST, and it was a penny stock. I don't think they're around today anymore. I lost most of my money on that and realized I should learn how to do this the right way. So then I started you know, researching real companies, and then uh, the, the fall of, of 2011 is when I actually started trading stocks. And so I moved from stocks to ETFs and finally to futures. And that's what I've been trading ever since. So I've um, been doing this about five years. And how did you learn to trade profitably? Because even stocks, like it doesn't come automatically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, that's kind of a tough question. You know, like how do you learn to, to ride a bike, I guess? Because um, in the beginning you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I, it was when I, when I first started trading stocks, my bread and butter was, um, Nokia research in motion, um, Blackberry, Apple, Google, and then a bunch of insurance companies. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about the companies. I was just buying what I could. And it was in the middle of the, the big run up in 20, let's see, I think it was, you know, between 2011 and 2013 was like it was like almost every day everything was up. And so a lot of the money that I made early on, I didn't understand why I was making it. And so I, I realized, you know, that I needed to learn more. And so I started doing research. And um, in the early days for me, everything was kind of fundamental. And so as I started doing research, I realized, you know, I, I learned everything I could about currency and money and the Fed and the history of our economic system. And that kind of spooked me because I was like, holy crap, like we had this huge collapse in 2008 and we fixed it by printing money and this isn't sustainable. So I got into this uh, bad habit of trying to uh, short the bubble that we were surely in. And so I started bleeding money, you know, so I had this, this period of success that I didn't understand why I was having success. And then I started to bleed money shorting a bull market because I, I knew, you know, that we were in this bubble that the Fed was creating. And I still believe that today, but, um, you know, there's no way to define how big that bubble is going to be. We have no idea. I mean, we could be in a bull market for the next five or 10 years. Like, I don't think that's the case, but if that happens, you know, you have to trade that way. So it wasn't until I started realizing, you know, fundamental analysis doesn't work. I have to have a process that's measurable and uh, in in late 2013 is when I really started to buckle down and, and really record what I was doing and come up with a process that was measurable. That's when I really started getting into the whole idea of of trend following and developing a system. And, and that's really when I was able to start seeing improvements that I knew came from my process rather than improvements that came from who, who knows where, you know, cause that's the big challenge when you're first starting out, especially if you make money from the very beginning, it's hard to tell whether or not that's because you're a genius or because the market is just going your way. So, yeah. And I think this is even more dangerous than, than uh, losing from the start, right? Oh yeah. I, th I think so. Um, my, my path to consistency was not an easy one at all. And I, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, I made money in the beginning, you know, I, 
in my podcast, I have a, a story that I tell one of my students, you know, I had my, my mic recording this, uh, this exchange I had with one of my students and I was telling him about (laughs) an Apple trade that I placed. And I like, I mean, this is literally how I was trading in the early days. So, you know, I, I knew Apple was coming out with earnings and this was like three or four days before earnings. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder what Apple's going to do. So I just called up like 10 friends and asked them what they thought about Apple. And I thought I was doing, you know, doing due diligence. I looked at their chart. It looked like it was kind of going up and, um, their earnings came out after the bell and I bought as much Apple as I, like I maxed out my account and their earnings came out after the bell where like, there's no liquidity. You can't get out if things are going bad. And they beat earnings and the stock popped and I made $5,000 in like 15 minutes and I got out with a huge profit and I felt like a genius and I blogged about it and I felt great. And, um, you know, I continued to trade that way. And then a couple months later, I lost half of my account in roughly the same amount of time um, on it. You know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> How did you decide that you were profitable? Like, did you wait for for you to have returns for like a few months or did you wait to recover your whole account? How did that happen? I try to focus on consistency rather than profitability because you can be consistently doing the right things and still lose money. Mm -hmm. And when you're first trying to figure out your process, that can be a confusing and really difficult thing to, to stick with, to be consistent in doing, in, in following a process when it's losing you money. So uh, it it was kind of like a back and forth type thing. You know, it took a lot of time because I would, you know, come up with a system or a strategy or a plan and follow it. But then when I'd start losing money, I would start to veer away from it to avoid the losses. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would work and I would start making money by kind of just doing my own thing. And so I think for myself, getting to the point of consistency and ultimately profitability um, was just a matter of going through these cycles where I would come up with a system and stick to it. Then I'd start to lose money and I wasn't mature enough as a trader to, to really like accept that, you know, accept the fact that like that's part of the game. And, and this is something that a lot of new traders struggle with. Like people don't want to accept the pain of loss. And so they come up with, they try to create a system that doesn't have losses in it and that just doesn't exist. So for me, the, the, the journey to becoming consistently profitable was kind of a, a, a back and forth. Uh, it was almost like a pendulum swinging back and forth, but each time it swung one way, one way it swung a little bit less um, far, I guess. Um, and eventually you come and, and rest in, in the middle, which is, is, a, is a good place to be. So what, what I would do is I would lose money um, following a process that I believed in. So I would change my process and start kind of trading willy nilly and it would make me money, but I wasn't making money from any kind of definitive process. And then before you know it, I was losing money doing that. And it kind of like that, that experience scares you back into following a rigid process. It works for a while and you stay with it until it stops working. And for me, it was kind of a process back and forth until I kind of just hit a point of exhaustion where I figured, you know, it's better to, to lose money during losing streaks and know that I'm doing the right thing over time and, and just create a risk model that I can grind out profits over time rather than trying to outsmart the market and make money every day. If that, 
if that makes sense or answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a really good point because it's not about being profitable from like one distributor. It's not like you wake up and you realize you're profitable. It's more over the long run, right? You have to look at a couple of months probably to realize that you're profitable. Yeah, and, and this process took me years. So I don't want to make it sound like it, it was a couple of months. I mean, this was years, you know, like I blew up a couple of accounts doing this. And, and the tough thing about it is like at no point during that process did I ever know for certain that I was going to make it as a trader. Like there's always this fear in the back of your mind that's like crap, like I – now I've lost another 5,000. Now I've lost another 10,000. Now I've lost another 15,000. Like maybe I should have just stopped. Like, is this the right path for me to take? It's, it's a really difficult, I feel like that's one of the harder things about trading when you're starting out is because like there's, there's really not a lot of way to measure your progress. Like there is in athletics or academia where you can see your grades getting better because sometimes you're doing all the right things and still losing money. And, and it's, it's kind of hard to measure your, your success by, well, I placed all my trades. I stuck to my risk management model. I stuck to my, my system, but I still lost, you know? So, so it's, it's a difficult process. And, and sometimes it's really hard to, to know how close you are to, to making it, you know, to being consistent enough where you can like move to full time or quit your job or, uh, I don't know, call yourself a trader or whatever that, you know, whatever is important to you to, to define, you know, like I'm doing this consistently and, and I know I'm going to be able to continue to do it consistently. Yeah, I totally get that. So what is your main training style today? Um, so I'm a trend follower. Um, and I guess I'd, I don't know that I would call myself a swing trader, but I'm definitely not a day trader. So Basically, what I do is I look at the daily chart to form a framework around what I'm going to be doing. But I try to catch, and I, I kind of think of that as like the larger tide, the larger current, but I try to catch the waves in between. So everything I, I trade off of is like all my entries are off of a 30-minute chart, but basically I'm just trying to catch trends within the larger trend. You know, So um, we might be moving up in a market. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to be moving up every single day, you know, and if we have a big down day, I don't want to be stuck in that, you know, like there's money to be made. Um, so, so I'm a trend follower. Um, I I'd say I fall somewhere between a day trader and a swing trader. Um, the, the best trades I have, I tend to be in for, you know, between 10 hours and a couple days. Um, but as far as like my process, I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of indicators that I look at. I just um, try to identify trends in their in their infancy, um, and I don't use a lot of indicators to identify those trends in my entry points. So, the only real things that I look at, I, I try to make sure that all my indicators are price based indicators. Um, so, I have three moving averages that I use. I use a two hundred, a twenty, and a seven period exponential moving average. And then I just pay attention to what the previous day's high and low was, the previous day's open and close. And I, I use that information, you know, to, uh, to position myself and take my trades around the, the overall larger trend that's going on because I, I never want to be against the predominant uh, trend. So um, that's kind of my style. And it, it makes it difficult in periods of time like this, you know, especially we've got the uh, – 
FOMC meeting next month and the market, at least for the past couple of days, hasn't really wanted to make any big moves in either direction. And so when you've got a sideways moving market, you know, there aren't big trends to catch. So you get a lot of bad signals. And so, so those periods of time can be, can be challenging, but that's, that's kind of the way that I trade. It's basically taking advantage of the trend, right? So it's, it's helping you out a lot for sure. Yeah, exactly. When the markets are volatile, when they're trending, when, when they're moving, it's a really, really great, great system. And, and, you know, like really when you think about it, everyone on some level is a trend follower. I mean, even, even if you don't subscribe to the idea of getting into the markets, um, at point A and riding a trend up to, to point B, um, until the trend ends, if you buy, if you buy any kind of product, you need the market to trend up at least a tick if you're going to get out with a profit, you know? So even, even the people that are, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, I can't think of the, think of the word, the, the people that are p- trading price levels and support and resistance. I mean, those people are looking for trends to reverse. You know, if, if you're picking out a support level and the market is dropping, you're looking for a reversal trend of, of that dropping market. You know, you're looking at, you're looking for the reversal point. So they might not be looking for the meat of the move in a trend, but everybody, everybody needs the market to trend their direction if they're going to make money. So I'm, I'm a big believer in trend following. That's basically why you have people uh, screaming when the market is sideways and not moving a lot like these days. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of people that are having, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people, some really high level people, some big, big caliber traders, and it seems like everybody's kind of in the same boat. So like right now, you know, you just kind of have no choice to either, you know, either risk missing the signal that ends up being a big, big move and uh, stay out of the market completely or just kind of get really, really small in your trading and really selective with, with what trades you take. What do you think were the biggest thing preventing you from succeeding in trading? I'd say the biggest thing that prevented me from succeeding would be myself and my my ideas of what I wanted to be as a trader. So the market doesn't discriminate. You know, it, it does not see the color of your skin. It doesn't see your educational background. It doesn't um, see whether you came from a wealthy or poor family. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't, it doesn't see anything and it will take your money or pay you, um, regardless of who you are. And for me, one of the biggest problems is like, I, when I first got into trading, I didn't realize this, but I was getting into trading for a lot of the wrong reasons. You know, I wanted to be, (laughs) like a, uh, you know, Bobby Axelrod and, uh, a lot, you know, I, I thought it was going to be like a sexy thing to do. I envisioned myself someday having like a big hedge fund and walking in the door, you know, with my dick hanging out and telling my secretary to call, you know, call the broker and buy 2 million shares of bank of America. And cause I'm Bobby Axelrod, and, <laughs> you know, um, and I know, I know with certainty that the market's going to go up. And that's just not the way that it is. You know, you can't, you can't predict what the market's going to do and you can't be a macho man. You can't be a cowboy or cavalier about uh, what you're doing. And the market is not going to turn you into, um, you know, a hotshot. And too many people try to trade that way. And, and that's how I was trying to trade. Um, so I was taking positions kind of like to boost my ego. And 
it gets you into these into these situations where you're pooping bricks every time the market moves like two or three ticks against you because you're levered up to the max. At least I was. And, um, so, so that's, that's the biggest, the biggest mistake that I made. Like that's, that's really what prevented me from making money early on is I did not understand the market at all. And I really didn't understand myself. You know, I didn't understand why I was placing a lot of the trades that I was placing. I had no understanding of, of market structure or how the auction worked. And, I was just basically a gambler, you know, like when I first started trading, I was gambling more than I was gambling when I was counting cards in Wendover, Nevada, which is crazy because that's the whole reason I walked away from that because I understood that it was not a viable way to make money over the long run. And then I get into the marketplace and I'm doing, I, I have worse practices there than I did in the casinos. So so I, I would say that that's the biggest thing that kept me back. And that's what I see keeping most traders back is they, they don't understand themselves. They don't understand what the market is. And they think the market is kind of like a piggy bank where you can walk in and extract money from it at will. And and that's kind of um, what you see on social media a lot is, is guys insinuate that that's what they're doing. You know, they, like they have pictures of stacks of cash or pictures of their phone with, you know, all their Forex profits and they have, you know, some sort of quote like, uh, you know, nice profits to wake up to this morning, um, generating wealth and, uh, you know, you can make money from your phone. It's easy, like things like that. And it, it makes it seem like the market pays you just for being in it. And that's, that's absolutely not, not the case. But as a new trader, you know, like that's kind of the way that I thought. And I had this compulsive need to be in the market because I had kind of uh, my ego was tied to it and I didn't understand my own psychology and I didn't understand what the market was. Yeah, and this is something I want to jump into because uh, you published a podcast, which I didn't listen to yet, a podcast episode called The Truth Behind Social Media for the Gurus. And this is going to be really relevant for your podcast because a lot of people here are trading Forex and okay. you kind of want to prevent them from jumping into buying a huge course like a huge mentoring with like gurus basically yeah so tell us about that podcast that you recorded and what it's about um yeah so this uh podcast i i ran into this guy on instagram and he was you know promoting forex as kind of like a, an easy way to get rich and so i started talking with him because he said things on his and i don't and i don't know why i did this because you know when you're arguing with someone over the internet you know like what does that make you? You know, like, um, but I, I don't know why I reached out to this guy, but you know, I said, you know, some of these things that you're, you're doing seem a little dangerous. And he and I started talking. Um, I actually think he reached out to me. He, he asked me if I wanted to take part in his, uh, in a, in a wealth building opportunity. And I said, you know, no, thank you. I, I don't participate in Forex. I don't do the multi-level marketing thing. What you guys do is dangerous. And we got into this dialogue. And so um, we started having this conversation that was really fascinating. So I in invited him onto my podcast and I was really surprised that he said yes because I made it very clear I'd be asking him some really tough questions. And we started talking and um, it was really interesting talking to him because he was a really honest kid. He was honest with me on the podcast and we talked and um, – his social media account has all these pictures that I mentioned to you a couple moments ago, you know, the, the pictures of the money, the pictures of nice cars sitting by the pool, catching pips, you know, that, that type of thing. And 
come to find out, you know, he's never placed an actual trade in the Forex market. He, all of his pictures are from his demo account and he's only been demo trading for a year, but he's giving people advice about trading, which is so scary. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's just, it's a really dangerous, um, time to be trying to get involved in the markets because you never know who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> and a, a lot of people are trying to make money by, um, promoting mentorship services. And there's a lot of people that are just trying to make money by, you know, these multi-level marketing, uh, companies, basically like the money that if, if these guys are making any money, it's not coming from the market. It's coming from the people below them on their downline that are paying to have access to their trading robot and their software. And the guy, you get residual income from all the people on your downline. So these people are, you know, they don't know how to trade, but they're touting themselves as though they do know. And it's, it's really, really dangerous because the markets take years and years and years to learn. And the Forex market, you know, is one of the most dangerous markets for new traders to get involved with, you know, like if there's, and, and I have nothing against Forex in and of itself, but if you're starting out, that's probably the worst place for a new trader to go is Forex. Yeah, I don't agree with that because I'm trading Forex, but I think you know, it's really important for people to at least be aware of all the scams out there and stuff like that. Yeah, well, can I can I de just defend my my statement about Forex? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm curious about that. So, so here's why I think it's it's so dangerous. Um, Forex, the way that the Forex market is structured is completely different than any other market. So, there's nothing nothing inherently bad about forex i mean the same the same things in general move the market um you have trends that last roughly the same as every other asset class um there are you know those instances where you have an an instance like we had with uh the swiss franc i think in 2013 where it just like exploded in one direction i mean the market didn't even the market jumped over people's stops so even if you had a stop loss in you you lost a lot more than you were planning on losing. Um, but I mean, those, those events are, are pretty rare, but what makes Forex so different, they're so difficult for new traders is it allows new traders to make bigger mistakes than, than most other markets. So if you're trading so, and most traders make the same mistakes at the beginning, like we all make the same mistakes. So usually the big, the big two are traders tend to trade way too big in the beginning and they trade way too often. And if you look at all the other markets, like if you're going to trade stocks, like if you want to be a day trader and you think that's your path and you want to trade stocks, most guys don't have 25K to dump into an account. So most people have a couple thousand bucks. So they put, they fund an account and they can't day trade because if you're under 25K, you're subject to the pattern day trading rule and you only have three day trades within a five day rolling period. So guess what? That solves one of those problems mistakes that new traders make. Um, you can only place three day trades. And after that, like you can't over trade, like even if you wanted to, you can't. Um, and so you may be trading way too big, but you're not trading way too big and way too frequently. So if you decide you're going to trade the futures market, you can day trade those markets. You know, there's no limit on how much you need to day trade, but you have contract margin requirement limits. So if you decide you're going to trade S and P minis, 
and you've got $10,000, one contract is roughly 5,000 bucks. And so if you decide you're going to lever up to the hilt and trade two contracts and you lose $100, now you're at 9,900 bucks. And if you want to go back into the market, you can't place two contracts anymore. You can only trade one contract until you get to a point where you can afford the margin requirement minimum for those S&P minis, mini contracts. So you might be over trading, but the the structure of those um, products force you to trade smaller than you might want to. But in Forex, all of these things don't really exist. So you can lever up to the last penny in your account on every trade you like you want. You can trade as often as you want um, intraday. And new traders, they haven't had enough experience. Like they haven't gone through the school of hard knocks to understand why that's a bad idea, you know? So I've talked to guys that in Forex have made, you know, $37,000, $100,000 in a, like a couple months. And that's crazy, but it's because they're, they just happen to be on the right side of the market and they're making a lot of money. Um, but eventually they're going to lose it, you know, because they're not learning the basic, the basic practices of, of profitable trading. And a lot of these other products, you know, options, they're not liquid enough to day trade effectively and they're expensive. And so all these other products force a trader, even if you have a compulsion to do otherwise, there comes a point where you can't over trade if you're trading stocks and you're below 25K. You can't lever up to the hilt if you're trading futures contracts and you don't have enough you know, money to trade two or 10 or whatever. And in Forex, you, you're able to do that. You know, so I, I like to talk about Forex as kind of being a Formula One race car. There's nothing wrong with Formula One, but um, that's definitely not the first car that you want to get behind, you know, when you have your driver's permit. You know, you should probably start in your dad's old beat up pickup truck truck and, and learn how to control your vehicle there and then and work your way up to Formula One. Yeah, so it's kind of a protection you have in, in the in futures and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. It's definitely worth it. But yeah, even then I think some people can put in more money and still lose a lot, like I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, the the other the other um areas are are very risky. Like there's no question like <laughs> no matter what product you're trading there's there's a lot of risk, but um I I think that forex allows you to you have to be much more responsible independently I think to trade forex. Like there are not as many structural blocks in place to to prevent a trader from being stupid. And I, I would have lost a lot more money a lot faster if that's where I had started. You know, I would be out of the game, honestly. Like, I, I probably never would have lasted if Forex had been where I went. But it attracts a lot of people because the barrier to entry is, like, so low. It's, you know, less than less than $100 for some brokers. Yeah, I hear yeah, people, so. yeah. No, yeah, that's so, totally right. And maybe that's why there's more scam with Forex, too. It's possible. It could be. So how can people find you? Um, well, I have a website. Uh, it's called unchartedpodcast.com. That's where my podcast is. And I you know, have my mentorship stuff on there. Um, I do coaching and everything. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at unchartedpodcast. I don't have Twitter. I've never really gotten into the whole Twitter thing. Um, <laughs> so you can't find me there. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll move to Twitter someday, but I've tried it a couple times and it just, I, I don't, I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Instagram is good though. And for the people listening, I think you should really download a podcast. It's called, it's called Uncharted. So you can check this out on iTunes. It's going to be easy to download. So Chris, what goals do you have for the future? 
Um, well, obviously the, uh, the big one is, is get rich, right? <laughs> um, I, I would like to be a millionaire before, uh, 30. Um, so I'm 26 now and I, I think I can make it, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard to tell. I'm not a believer that you can really, uh, predict markets or, um, set accurate projections for yourself because no one knows what's going to happen. I mean, if the market just decided to move sideways from here on out, I mean, there's no way I would ever make it, um, to, to that point. So that's, that's the goal. Um, but it's, it's really up to the market and my, my ability to manage my risk, whether or not I make it. Um, but that's the long-term goal. The short-term goal is just, uh, keep doing what I'm doing and enjoy the ride, I guess. <laughs> Sounds good. And what's your main motivation to do all that? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I ask myself this a lot because obviously, um, there's freedom that comes with, uh, with money. You know, I'd love to have a, a supercar and a really nice house, but, um, I'm a big, I'm a big, well, I can't say that I'm a big student of psychology, but I am becoming a bigger student of psychology because like when, when you really get down to it, all of those things come from, come from something deeper, you know, like having a nice car or a nice house is not going to make you happy. So, um, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out the why behind, um, the money that I've made or the money that I'm making. And I think that, I think that it really comes down to just being able to spend time with my family and knowing that they're going to be taken care of. And I, I would really suggest that anybody that's listening, um, to this, that's trying to improve their trading, kind of like, do some mental exercises and really figure out like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Like, why do you want to make a million bucks? Like, why do you want to make a billion dollars? I talked to a guy a day or two ago who that's his goal. He wants to be a billionaire. You have to ask yourself, you know, why do you want these things? Because, um, when I actually sat down and, and asked myself, you know, why do I want to be a millionaire? You know, like obviously nice cars, nice house, but, but those things won't make you happy. And so I sat down and I, I thought, you know, what, what would happen if just like by some off chance, um, you know, I entered a trade tomorrow and before I could even put in, you know, my stop and my profit, uh, alerts and, and everything, what if the market just exploded in my direction and suddenly I was a millionaire, you know, like impossible, but what if that happened? Like, what would I do differently? And I realized, you know, like what I would do, you know, if I had all the money in the world, if I was a multimillionaire, I would want to, you know, go on a run in the mountains every day. I would want to make sure that I had healthy food to eat for breakfast, you know, like fruit and berries and yogurt. I'd want to spend plenty of time with my, my wife and my kid and, um, spend more time with friends. And, and I would, you know, obviously want to buy a, a big house and a nice car. And out of that list, like excluding the nice house and the, the nice car, I can do all that stuff right now, you know? And so I think oftentimes we get so like focused on these like material goals, which are great because that's how you measure progress sometimes by, by the, the amount of money that you've made from trading. But, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a multi-billion dollar or a multi-million dollar trader to live the life that you're pursuing, excuse me, pursuing. So, um, so those are the, those are the things I really want security for my, myself and my family, but it's kind of an ongoing process for me to like really dig down and, and understand the why behind, uh, the goals that I'm setting. I think, yeah, this is a great lesson though. It's going to be good. 
So I just want to remind the listeners that all the show notes are going to be in this artistry.com. So if people want to find the links you talked about, the link to your podcast, everything is going to be in this artistry.com. And Chris, I'm going to have one last question for you, which is sometimes tricky, sometimes interesting. If you could give only one sentence of advice for traders, what would that one sentence of advice be? I would say focus on not losing money and uh, do not focus on making money. You need to look at things opposite of what the way that you want to. So focus on managing your risk and stop trying to figure out how many pips or ticks you can make every day. <laughs> That's a good one. So Chris Klaufin, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And for all listeners, I'll see you in the next episode. All right, so I think Chris Claflin mentioned a couple of good points in this episode. But first, I strongly recommend you check out his podcast, The Uncharted Podcast. It's available pretty much everywhere, including iTunes. Chris talked about the idea of not focusing on making money, but not losing money. That means you need to have a plan on how you're going to progress. And you need to have a plan on how you're going to protect your money as well. Trading is not only about finding the right setup. It's really about finding the right methodology. And Chris mentioned it a lot. So I strongly recommend this week that you pick one thing from the podcast and try to apply it to yourself. Don't just listen to the podcast, but really ensure that it's helping you out in trading. If you can take only one small action every week, it's going to make a huge difference overall. If you've listened to a couple of episodes so far of the podcast, please consider leaving a review. That not only helps the podcast get growing, but it's also helping other people to be aware of the podcast. And the more people can listen to the show, the more people we can help together. I didn't start the podcast because I wanted to talk to traders all day. I started the podcast because I wanted to help other people and have a positive impact on traders. Feel free to reach out if you need anything. If you have any trouble, anything you want me to help you with, go on the Facebook group, desiretotrade.com forward slash group, and you'll find me there. Now I look forward to see you in the next episode. Ciao.